watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to be looking at four movies. Not four. three. Four movies. Four! Everybody wants them. I Saw the Light, Born to be Blue, and Marguerite. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life's too short for that mess. Uh, and our pick of the week for this week is Midnight Special, which we're going to talk about in a separate episode, uh, which features an interview with uh, filmmaker Jeff Nichols, Jason uh, conducted. Yep. Um, and then you can find that episode wherever you found this one, whether it be... Um, through iTunes. divination, prayer, <laughs> runes, runes, iTunes, iRunes. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the April Fool's joke this year. Does Apple do one? You know, um, I can neither confirm nor deny that there have been any discussions about one, nor that there might or might not be anything interesting hitting the store on April Fool's Day. Oh, we're finally going to see the Jason Leroy biopic. Yes, yes, it's been it's been our first our first full length self funded film, and <laughs> uh, and it stars Carney Wilson in the role she was born to play, <laughs> me. Um, so that's about that episode. Let's let's get started. Um, Jason, what's up with you, man? Oh. What's going? How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Thanks for asking, what's up, Rebecca. Pal? Well, let's see. Uh, I was in Portland this past weekend. Oh. Yeah, real fun. Seeing some friends. I saw a town that get down, stay down, do a great show, the oh. opening night of their uh, new tour. So that was fun. And uh, and I watched six movies uh, wow. over the course of one weekend. That's impressive. Yeah, I was staying with my friends Steph and Justin. And when I'm with them, they just want to watch all the movies. And I'm, mm-hmm. of course, more than happy to oblige. And uh, we watched one that I had not seen, and so I want to take this moment to recommend it uh, because it's a new release, and I it, it just kind of fell off of our binge dar. And mm-hmm. uh, some it, movies do. We yeah, can't watch everything. There's so many, and this one is called Creative Control, which I think I remember we talked about possibly doing on the show, and then it just kind of got away from us. But, Sounds familiar. Um, it's this really incredible uh, black and white drama, contemporary drama. Actually, it takes place uh, a couple years in the future. And um, it's sort of like it's the easiest way to describe it is to be like it's sort of Mad Men in the future. Okay. So the main character is sort of like this Don Draper's oh, John. Draper. I remember with this. Yes. He's sort of this Don Draper's figure who works at an ad agency, and um, and they're working on these these products. Like there's it's sort of like a Google Glass type product, and uh, and then this vape pen that like vapes you Xanax or something, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then he has like his like pretty wife at home, but then he's like has the wandering eye. And um, it's just really stylishly done, gorgeously photographed. Is it a comedy? No. Okay. It's kind of a satire. Okay. Um, And gorgeously done, sexy, sexy, sexy movie. Surprisingly (laughs) sexy. Um, And uh, and, and it's actually just like uh, I drew a comparison to to Kresha because just like that, Mm. um, it is written and directed by an attractive young man who also stars in it. Ah. So it's a trend alert, guys. (laughs) Just uh, much like the Jason Leroy story. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, you're not starring in it. Never mind. Actually, the funny thing is I play Carney Wilson in the movie. And she (laughs) plays me. Yeah. No. So so I am there being like in dream sequences when Carney as Jason is dreaming, I, Jason as Carney, am in them 
singing hold on that's um, fantastic to sustain were you able to get john stamos for the me parter no <laughs> uh no if you uh, say we, if you'd say we, if you say we, modern <laughs> family if you say well, I don't have to because you said it family I was actually going to say Scott Baio um, but uh, but you went ahead and and, and, oh, and did the joke anyway I'll cut that out and post so don't you fucking do it <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah so our apologies to Creative Control that we failed to properly salute it when it came out and uh, and I do indeed recommend that you binge Creative Control well that was about my weekend uh, what's up with you Rebecca um, I'm gonna stick. So we this is kind of a musically themed, musically themed show. Mm. Um, we have we're doing four movies, and three of them are about artists, um, uh, yeah, uh, musical artists. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna go uh, with the music theme as well. Um, I am having a dilemma right now mm. because here in San Francisco on May 16th, there are two mm. events that are happening in the same night, mm. and it's the City Arts and Lecture Talk with Joanna Newsom. Oh yeah. And Kate LeBond's playing at the chapel. Oh, right. Yeah. I remember when I told you about that. that I didn't oh, until I night. wrote an email about it to myself when you were talking about it. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have remembered. Well, I emailed it to you as well. Oh, that's what it was. I read your email. Yeah. You emailed it to me. <laughs> yeah, you were at the time. You were like, you're going to have to email this to me. <laughs> at least like, I had the foresight. Yes, you did. To know that you, I wouldn't remember that. Yes, yes. Through your crossed eyes, you saw that far. <laughs> uh, but, oh, I mean, wouldn't the Joanne Newsome thing be early enough in the night you could do that and go to no, Kate No, it's uh, at 7.30 and then Kate LeBond opens at 8. But no, but Kate Lamont's going to be like the main act, though. So she's probably going to have an opener. You think? Yeah. So what time do you think she'll go on? Like 9, 9.30? Really 9, 9.30. So you could probably like go see Joanna Newsom and then hear her talk about whatever the hell she talks about and then go see yeah, Kate Lamont. Andy Sandberg. Yeah. Right. She's going to bum me out and then I'll go to Kate <laughs> right, Exactly. Then you'll take your big broken lesbian heart over to Kate Lamont <laughs> and mope your way through her set. So it sounds like a dream night. Problem solved. For any angsty teenager. Problem solved. Wow. Thanks, Jason. I'm glad <laughs> yeah, I brought that up. Anytime. Um, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. The first movie we're going to look at this week is, so it's Everybody Wants Some with two exclamation points. Is it Everybody Wants Some? Or is it like, Everybody Wants Some? <laughs> I think the latter. I think the latter sounds, I think I can hear both exclamation points better the second time around. Okay. That's what it is. Yes. A group of college baseball players navigate their way through the freedoms and responsibilities of unsupervised adulthood. Oh, my nuts! Look at what we have here. Hey, ladies. Party later tonight at the baseball houses. You should be investing this energy elsewhere. Lesbians. I like the quiet guy in the backseat. Oh, there's nothing here. Yeah, I can see how that could get threatening. New guy coming in, getting all the ladies. That was a joke. I got your joke right here. What a good time. Is this, uh, is this movie as regressive as it sounds? Well, uh, so first of all, you may have heard in that trailer clip that they use My Sharona. They do. And uh, it is the first song you hear in the movie over the opening credits, which just made me wonder, like, does Reality Bites not own that movie anymore? I... Like, I feel like there's a statute of limitations that has not expired on, no, on Reality Bites owning that movie. Reality Bites song. Yeah, like anything related to Peter Frampton. Yes. <laughs> reality Bites own all those things. Maybe we're just old. Um, so, Yes. This movie is as regressive as it sounds. Uh, very much so, uh, in fact. Uh, I, I was kind of... Okay, so obviously this is a Richard Linklater movie, which would lead you to believe that it's a great movie because mm-hmm. like nine out of ten movies he does are really, really great. He did that animation one, though, didn't he? Waking Life. I hated that movie. You did. That was like the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. Well... To each their own, Rebecca. You're like, it was my favorite movie. Yes. Exactly. No, I I don't even remember if I've seen that movie. Um, But 
I genuinely was thinking, I have I have never, in the course of our podcast, in the long, long, you know, six months we've been doing this, <laughs> I have never been more angry that you weren't with me to see a movie. No. Is it because you wanted sour worms? It's, be- <laughs> it's part of that. Okay. But also, I feel like you might have just walked out of this movie. Really? Like, I think you would have been so outraged. Do you, uh, do you like that? Do you like it when I get mad? I mean, it would have been fun to play off of um, in oh, this see. conversation. Okay. Because I feel like... Cause you know, because right now it's just me being like, yeah, it's kind of regressive. But so, yeah, it is it is very regressive. Uh, it's entirely about these, you know, white bro baseball players with one token black guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it begins with a freshman arriving a few days before class begins for his first semester at college. And he immediately moves into like um, a house that's owned by that's owned by the baseball team. Mm-hmm. of the school and uh and then it's just kind of they, he just settles into the house and gets to know all the bros and then they just start cruising for poontang and <laughs> that's pretty much the whole movie um it is a it, you know it's link later so it's a small moments movie there's literally sure. there's neither a plot nor conflict of any sort <laughs> literally not even any conflict oh you know other than like oh is he gonna get to like tap that uh <laughs> is pretty much that's a conflict yeah it's pretty much as bad as it gets um there is the female nudity in the movie is disembodied and no, really? uh, yes yeah, like close up of like a girl's ass as her panties are pulled down uh close up of some tits coming out of a bra oh um Ooh. it's a, it's it is 100% a male gaze movie and um, it's not it's not just trying to be it's not parodying movies of the 80s it's like trying to well, be a legitimate I think it's an homage definitely to like the hornball early 80s um dude movies mm-hmm. But it doesn't really do anything with that. Mm. It doesn't challenge it. Yeah. Um, you know, there is there's like the one girl who's different, who's also the only girl who is in any way developed as a character. We know she's different because whenever the dude gets to her apartment, she has a picture of Joni Mitchell on the wall and Patty Smith's Easter LP is visible on her shelf. Uh, um, but aside from that, like... So she, she was your spirit animal. She was. I was like, I was briefly excited. I'm like, man, I'm like, I wish I was some cute girl with my exact tastes. <laughs> cleaned up. Um, but uh, so, but she's like a drama girl and she is like totally charmed by this baseball bro no uh so they hit off and they have like a romantic night together and so it it doesn't it doesn't challenge it all it does is it takes those characters and those situations from those movies and it does it the link later way which is to say in like a very kind of ambling naturalistic small moments kind of way Mm -hmm. where you just follow them over a really finite period of time and uh and and not a whole lot happens and and normally that really works for me with Linklater, yeah. like whether the before movies or Boyhood mm-hmm. or Dazed and Confused, uh, you know, like these 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 small moments work because they feel very you recognize them, you know, you feel some kind of real humanity in them, right? And uh, and it's an interesting way to do a story. But I feel like also in those movies there are things that are happening that feel profound, and there are conversations that are happening that feel profound. Mm-hmm. And, and, here e- it's and not. even even if it's just you know a simple kind of profoundness, where it's just like some kind of simple human truth comes through, and you're like, yeah, that really feels real to me. This is this movie is not like that um, because like ninety eight percent of the dialogue is spoken by these baseball bros. Mm. And there is you know inevitably the one who's kind of like the philosopher. Um, who's played Sounds worse, <laughs> even more terrible. Who's played by Glenn Powell, alias Chad Radwell from Scream Queens, and uh, and he's you know he's wonderful, of course, 
But like the movie is just overall not as charming as it thinks it is. Mm. Uh, mm. It just doesn't. It doesn't quite. Uh, yeah, it doesn't quite nail what it's hoping to nail. Unlike its characters, Bazinga. So you mentioned Days and Confused, um, and we just we just watched uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was like a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this similar to Days and Confused? Is it sort of the the same? How is it different? Yeah. So it is. It feels like if you were to go to the end of Days and Confused. And you were to follow, well, this takes place in 1980. So it's almost like, imagine oh. if like the little teenage, and, and like that movie, this is about a freshman, except for that was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. who was diving into this new social setting. And then this is a freshman in college. So it's almost like if that freshman in Days of Confuse had grown into like a baseball jock and then gone off to college and had learned nothing um, <laughs> from that, that night with the seniors, mm-hmm. um, this would be that movie. So it's sort of like, what made Days of Confuse such a masterpiece um, was that it showed this kind of really diverse cross-section of different cliques mm-hmm, mm-hmm. throughout this class. And, you know, I, I certainly first watched it when I was in high school. And so I felt, yeah. re- I felt you know, that I really love seeing that, seeing it depicted that way, because it seemed like it was showing how at the very end of this long journey of them all getting to graduation, now these social walls were like, crumbling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they were kind of looking at each other through these new eyes of like so i guess now we're all now we're kind of on the same playing field and now we can all just be cool because we're done with all this stuff right and that felt really kind of profound in some way mm-hmm. and uh, and then just seeing them all stand there together looking into the future and wondering what it's going to bring and yeah. even though like we you know you and i did not grow up in the 70s you watched it and you felt nostalgia as if you had right yeah no yeah um that movie also did have much better balance of male and female roles mm-hmm. um oh, including one. of course the great parker posies uh <laughs> you know, right, you freshman bitches uh so which is um, your ringtone it is. Uh, so call me, guys. Um, I always like to hear it. <laughs> so whereas that was about just like, you know, this really diverse, you know, different population of people, this is this could not be more homogenous. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about straight baseball jocks um, and like their their the way that their easy charm uh, just opens any door for them. Oh, that's so this fun. this movie's idea of diversity is that it has them go to different kinds of nightclubs. Oh. Uh, so the first night they go to a disco club, um, then they go to a country line dancing club, then they go to a underground punk bar, and then they go to a party at like the drama kids house, which is like offensive beyond belief. <laughs> oh, uh, just in terms of like this kind of weird and weird bizarre laughing stock that it makes of the drama kids, oh. um, like something out of like Wet Hot American Summer, except for they knew that they were being funny about it. Yeah, Wet Hot American Summer kind of is what we were talking about before where it yeah. like pays an homage to these movies but just calls out how ridiculous they are right and makes fun of it right um so this does nothing for diversity of race and gender right nothing um but it's gotten really good reviews like overwhelmingly positive yes why why i think this is i think when you when we were talking about um uh knight of cups Ter- the terrence malick movie the terrence malick movie the that directed by terrence malick and written by terrence malick <laughs> with a terrence malick vibe um and you asked does this movie get a pass from you because it's terrence malick if this was someone else other than terrence malick then how <laughs> would you feel about this terrence malick feeling movie and i said i'm like well actually i think i'd be harder on it but um but in this case i think that kind of question does apply like is this just link later getting a fucking pass mm-hmm. and i think also mm-hmm. you have to take into account that like the overwhelming majority of film critics including myself are white men mm-hmm. uh so you Do know you think this is like they're living vicariously these characters 
Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, like, they're just like, oh, this is kind of cool. This, like, lets us get close to what feels like a real, like, bonehead knuckle-dragger movie. But it's through, like, the artful, um, you know, minimalism of Richard Linklater. Mm. And so we can kind of feel like, oh, well, this is just kind of fun. Um, you know, so I really feel like it's because they know that it's him. And because it does have that kind of very um, measured, easy Linklater vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're just kind of like, oh, well, this is kind of cool, I guess. Uh, but, like, to me, that was nullified by the actual content. Yeah. And by the movie's sort of lack of challenge toward its protagonist who are presented as sort of affably flawed heroes. So this one went too far for you. Uh, you know, it kind of, it, it just, I, I just felt like this movie is being presented as like the baseline mm-hmm. as if like, mm-hmm. this is like a movie that everyone should be able to see and enjoy because it's about like, you know, young, good looking white dudes having a good time. Yeah. And for some reason, this movie just pissed me off more than most about yeah. white people where I was like, fuck you movie. Like, enough of this bullshit. Like, this this can't keep being the baseline. Right. Try yeah. harder. Yeah. You know, like, I get that Linklater is doing his own nostalgia here. And, you know, that he is, is you know, potentially is one of these characters. And he was probably, you know, like, that age around that time. But, like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. don't care. Like, push yourself harder. Like, oh, you're the, you're the, you're the white guy that gets to be able to make a movie about your, your experience and yeah. perspective. Like, That's exactly what the problem is. Like, stand back. Like, push it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If, they had, if they had challenged these characters even a little bit, then I wouldn't be as hard on this movie as, as I feel like I'm being. And, you know, and, and to, be, to be clear, it's not a bad movie. I right. just feel like politically, I have to like rail against it because it's, put your foot down, Jason. I, I am like I'm, I'm. It's it's. I just yeah. I wish I wish that it had something redeeming about all that's all the shit that that it, that it depicts. But like just scene after scene after scene after scene of this kind of unexamined, unchallenged, just like guys falling their bones around and the camera being their eyes looking at butts and boobs mm. and like and, and never never really. Oh, and there's even oh god. There's um so the girl who's like the cool girl who our our main character meets up with, her roommate is like a, a feminist, and uh and the guys all get a big kick out of that. And then later at a party, she like crumbles and just like starts making out with one of the baseball players. Uh so it's I was like at that point I was like fuck you. I mean, movie. well you heard the trailer with we played we played. Yeah. Um not cute. No. How about the cast? Anything redeeming there? Well, it's redeeming in the sense that it continues the redemption tour of Glee, the new class. <laughs> uh, so around midway into the run of Glee, they tried introducing like this kind of new group of freshmen to kind of take over as the older kids were starting to go off to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after Cory Monty died in real life, they just kind of like completely abandoned, like literally abandoned those characters in their entirety, except for like the one who was like the bitchy one Ryan Murphy liked. <laughs> and then they just like forgot they ever happened. So I oh. felt so bad for those kids because it was like, oh, they're big break. They're on Glee. They're the new Rachel and Finn. And then, oops, just kidding. They're gone. Um, so but Blake Jenner, no relation to the Jenner family, is the lead in this movie. And he was like the new kind of like affable jock who was um in Glee, the new class. Okay. And then um, Melissa Benoist um, played like the new Rachel. And she um, was in Whiplash. And she also plays Supergirl now um, oh, okay. on the CBS show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the redemption is for Glee, the new class. You got it, kids. <laughs> it wasn't all bad. 
Uh, but no, aside from that, like there's and all the guys in the movie are fine. You know, they all have that kind of like fine. I mean, they are fine, but you know, there is they you know they they all have that kind of sense of just naturally lived in uh, nature to their performances. Like, okay, we need to play a handsome they, guy that the world gets handed to you. They have very lived yeah. in they have very lived in performances and you know, you do get a sense of like each each one kind of has a as a distinct personality from the next and and uh, and only some of them feel kind of labored, but others feel like okay, like that seems like a guy I would recognize. Um and the movie is not especially even homoerotic. You would think for a movie that has like all these gorgeous young guys like parading around in like little tidy short short running shorts from like 1980 and shirtless that it would be more homorock than it is. Um, not so much. It doesn't yeah. even give us much of that. And like there's only like. I'm sorry for you. Thank you. You know, for all the female nudity that it has, they're, they, they have like two butts in it. <laughs> and uh, two dude butts, and uh, and one is on this really ugly guy who they always put in the tiniest shorts. I think just for kicks, and uh, and then the other is, I mean, this was a this was this was a treat. Uh, Ryan Guzman, uh, who is a very handsome actor, who was in the Boy Next Door with Jennifer Lopez. Um, he I didn't know it was him until the credits, but he um, he has a scene first of all where he is looking he's wearing these really tight disco pants and he's like examining his ass in the mirror and he just keeps like popping it out and he keeps saying like he's got, I've got the best cheese on campus <laughs> and like I've never heard an ass called cheese uh, um, and then and then later they show him swing from a tree uh, in a jock strap so uh. yeah so that was fun more of that please I don't know if there's any deleted scenes coming my way but uh, <laughs> not with this review you're giving it send it back right you know I think what? it's no. Sorry, I can't do send it back on this one. I can't. It's not that bad. As angry as it made me politically, I'd still say we consume moderation because, like I said, it's not a bad movie. Um, it just really caught me. It just it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I really want Linklater to fucking try harder because, and I get that he wants to after spending you know what ten years making Boyhood that mm-hmm. he probably just wanted to like have just goof around for two weeks and make this kind of like toss off movie. Um, and that's what it feels like. Uh, but you know, it just, yeah, it's just too regressive. Like this is not the movie we, and I hope that like, you know, some other angry scold out there will, will, will pipe up. I hope Jezebel will get on this shit yes. and run something about this movie because it just, I was just sitting there just stewing while I was watching it. Stewing on your behalf. Thank you. <laughs> Stew for me. I stewed. Everybody Wants Some is rated R for language throughout, sexual content, drug use, and some nudity. And it's out now. Um, movie number two. I saw the light. Singer and songwriter Hank Williams rises to fame in the 1940s, but alcohol abuse and infidelity take a toll in his career and marriage to fellow musician Audrey Mae Williams. You go out on the road and you sleep with a different woman every night. I need you with me. You think you can treat me right then? I can try. Business is tough on marriage. Marriage is tough on marriage. You're barely even here. You're barely even a father now. So this is going to be the first of three consecutive movies we're going to talk about this week that are inspired by the lives of musicians, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. Yeah. How does this one fit into the mix? So this is like the most boring, <laughs> obvious, uninteresting way to tell a story about a musician's life. Wow. This is like just a really straightforward biopic. Huh. And like could it, have been a documentary? Uh, should have been a documentary? Should have been a documentary. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
Yeesh. I think everyone was looking forward to this one because it's Tom Hiddleston. I know. He's everyone's boyfriend. Um, and he sings his own songs in oh. this movie. And honestly, the only time that he kind of comes alive in this movie is during the performances. Uh, this movie does not seem to have any real perspective on who Hank Williams is. It has no insights to offer. Really? And uh, Tom Hiddleston... Uh, Hank Williams died when he was 29. Uh, Tom Hiddleston looks too old to play even Hank Williams at the age of his death. Uh, does not... Not not super believable. And and here's... And I'm probably going to lose, lose at least two good friends if you listen to this, but... Oh, boy. I... I you have I, so many, though. I question... They never stick. I question Tom Hiddleston's kind of acting chops. I really do. Like, I feel like this movie was his first real chance to play. Like, he's playing the lead. He's playing a real person. These movies are usually, like, awards bait. They normally give Mm -hmm. you so much material to play. And he just kind of is a blank phones it in he's just a blank not even not even phoning it in i feel like he's trying but his his efforts are not great i feel like tom hiddleston is like he's obviously insanely adorable and cute and charming and he's also british and i think those things combined have made his thing like this is a great actor um but like i just don't know that it's there i haven't seen it in him yet i thought i would see it here but Mm -hmm. i didn't this is just kind of a blank of a performance there's really nothing to it who who else would be cast in this? You think? Oh, I don't know. I honestly don't know enough about Hank Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, not I, even and, after watching this movie. Yeah, certainly not after watching this movie. I was I, I thought maybe I might, but no, I uh, have I felt no closer to the legend of of Hank Williams after watching this movie. No. Um. Yeah, I feel like I only know about that Hank Williams has other people named Hank Williams. Yes, that's the extent this, of my knowledge. There's been a succession of them, like Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> Each with more and more beard. Yes, more beard and more, like, Confederate flags flying above them. So, this movie already came out, right? It was called Walk the Line? No? Is this Walk the Line 2? The Line Walks Back? Hey! hi yo, Good one. Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, so this literally, this very much plays like an anemic Walk the Line. Oh. Um, without all the fun and personality? Yes. Well, maybe Hank Williams was just more boring than Johnny Cash. Maybe. That seems very possible. But, I mean, Hank Williams died a lot younger, so you'd think he'd be more interesting. But, like, mm. and granted, you know, Hank Williams' story happened before Johnny Cash's, so he kind of, you know, maybe he was the archetype that Johnny Cash followed. So if this movie had come out first, then, you know, it it would have seemed better mm, but true. you know that's the thing with this movie it feels very dated there's nothing that feels especially modern about it it has the same kind of somber tone as walk the line it has almost beat for beat the exact same story as walk the line um but it's just made a lot more kind of limply and it's not as well performed yeah i'd seen a lot of um sort of articles about how um hiddleston was working so hard to sing mm-hmm. the songs and was really trying to nail the accent yeah um how are the performances good does he sing sing good (laughs) he sings real good um (laughs) the performances are good i mean those are his best scenes in the movie are Mm -hmm. the musical performances um there could just be like a 10 minute condensed clip reel of just his singing in this movie and that would be the thing people should watch okay um so is there anything else besides that well, Elizabeth Olsen is in the movie who plays his oh. wife, and uh, and she's great. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is always great. Yeah, that's true. Um, I really love her, and I'm always excited to see her in things that are not the Avengers. 
<laughs> um, so, but you know, get that money, girl. No shame there. But um, but I think she actually filmed this like on break for like two weeks between making the Avengers movies. Oh wow. Um, and I think her and Tommy Hids actually kind of hit it off and were dating for a while. Oh what? Um, but I don't think it it went far. But because I mean, when you have two such beautiful actors together, things happen. Mm, of course. Um, it's like this podcast. Will they or won't they? <laughs> Um, you guys are going to keep just string you along. We're not going to give you any easy answers on that one. They won't. Um, what are you giving this movie? Uh, this one gets a send it back. Oh, hey, we need a sound effect for that one. Like a <laughs> toilet <laughs> flush or something. <laughs> toilet flush. Or just like. <laughs> or just a laugh. Waiter. <laughs> we'll think of something better. Tweet your ideas to us. Uh, yes. What should our sound effect be for? Create your own sound effect. Yes, send create your own us. sound effect. We'll crowdsource it. We'll crowdsource our send it back sound effect since we have our little jaunty score for our pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is getting a send it back. Um, but if you were to see it, I saw the light is out now and it's rated R for some language and brief sexuality and nudity. Movie number three, uh, which is Born to be Blue. This is the second in our movie trilogy. Um, in the late 1960s, jazz trumpeter Chet Baker begins a romance with an actress while trying to stage a musical comeback. 28 years of practice. Gone. He'll never play again. What did you do? You're gonna kill yourself because you can't play trumpet anymore? Yes. Forget about Birdland. All you need now is some time. And you. This movie's so cool, man. Cool. Swing and bop. No, stop it. Uh, no, you don't like that? <laughs> um, Ethan Hawke taking on the role of jazz trumpeter Chet Baker. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Fantastic. Wasn't he, it great? so good. It was so natural. Oh, my God. I, I feel like I, I wish it was a little bit of a younger Ethan Hawke. I think I figured out he's supposed to be about... It was about when Chet Baker's 29 in this movie, and Ethan oh Hawke definitely... He's and there's, supposed to be 29 in There's the movie. drug thing, but yes. Chet Baker still looks pretty good until he was about in his 30s. I thought so that was... right at the cusp. That was something I thought. I'm like, this is like that rare case of a movie star being less pretty than the person they're playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chet Baker got really... He got mangled bad. Game. Yeah, he got um, mangled bad. Pretty fast, but he was really oh handsome. My God. I mean, yeah, they call him the James Dean the Jazz with good Indeed. reason. I feel like a lot of people will see this movie and be like, oh, that's Chris Isaac. <laughs> Um, I think just you. I'm pretty no? sure. <laughs> I mean, there's so there's this whole thing where there's this photographer named Bruce Weber right. who like made all the Chris Isaac uh, videos and photos. And has and taken does... lots of pictures of Wangs in his day. Indeed. And it does like all Kudos. the Abercrombie Kudos, things. Bruce. You're like, oh, that guy I have a like, shrine yeah. to in the bathroom? I spent years, years sneaking his books off of shelves at Borders. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he crafted this whole look popular again in, the, in like the 90s because he like saw like Chet Baker's album cover and like fell in love with it and like has tried to recreate it. So mm. like a lot of why that sort of looks that way that it does. Or yeah. like Chris Isaac. It's an aesthetic. Um, he was a style icon. Indeed. Like there was definitely a really cool California sixties surf beach mm-hmm. vibe in this movie that his wardrobes are really good too. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And Carmen Ijogo played his girlfriend. Yes. Uh, oh. So she was kind of like a composite of a lot of people that yes, he had yeah. dated. Yes, this movie is loosely inspired by the life of Chet Baker. Yeah, I would say except for the girlfriend thing, a lot of the other stuff's pretty pretty on point. The teeth thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the comeback happened. The drugs happened. Yeah, I didn't do. Thing. I didn't do a lot of. I just was reading some reviews that were like, "This is." It, it's it's clearly suggested by his life, but a lot of the particulars it kind of fudges mm. or does, mm. does its own way with, but. 
So, but is yes. that quite? Uh, what's the other one? Miles ahead. Miles ahead. The uh, yeah, the Miles, Miles Davis, Davis one. one where they completely fabricate like a whole right situation, which well, we didn't, we don't touch on this week, even though it no, does come out. We did not see Miles ahead, guys. Uh, but yeah, or even like you know the Steve Jobs movie, you know, right. which fabricated a lot of it just for its expressionistic um, ends. But Carmen Jogo, I think, is one of the world's most underrated actresses. Mm. I love her so much. And she won me over in an unlikely place. Where? The remake of Sparkle starring Whitney Houston and Jordan Sparks. <laughs> she played sister. She played Jordan Sparks' older sister named Sister. And <laughs> she was like the troubled bad girl in the girl group, the family girl group. Okay. And I haven't seen this. I mean, and as you can as you know from seeing this movie, she is a stone cold stunner. Yeah. Absolutely. So gorgeous. Um, she's actually British. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be married to the actor Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, the guy that and, wears these glasses. And before that, she was married to Tricky. Like the more Tricky. Chiba Tricky? Like the trip-hop Ma- artist? Yeah. She was married to Tricky in 1998. Whoa. That's Jewish... like at the height of Tricky's... I know. Imagine. That. And that was a short marriage, too. So it must have been crazy. Right? I wonder if it was... Yeah. Wow. Yes. Now, not to like be like, this actress is great. Let me drag her personal life out into error for <laughs> right, all you right. guys. Right, right. Her acting jobs. Um, the chemistry between her and Ethan Hawke... Was so good. So Holy good. Holy shit. I was in love with them oh as a couple. God. It's so rare that like chemistry is as good as it was between these two. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just combustible. I know that's like a hacky word, but like it just was. Like, yeah. They were just perfect together. They were so, like, cool with each other, yeah. but so clearly passionate for each other. Yeah, like, and they were both playing a lot of different levels. I think that was mm-hmm. why it worked so well. Like, they each played a lot of different levels of their characters. And, yeah. like, you, you know, he'd be all, like, stone blissed out, like, hey, man, whatever. But then he would, like, turn really more hard-edged and more cutting. Mm-hmm. And he, you could see that he's like, no, he's in, there's a person in there. And he right. is aware of what's happening around him. And same for her. Her, if anything, hers was the reverse, where yeah. her surface was a lot more hard and a lot more like sarcastic and like, okay, whatever, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. But then, like deep down, like she was very vulnerable and she was struggling as an actress. And so she kept, even though she kept being like, oh no, not I'm not going to say yes to that. No way. Right. She would always inevitably go with him wherever he would go. Right. And they had such like there were like moments of really genuine cuteness between them mm-hmm. that I didn't expect because you like uh, these biopics cover such like a broad um, period that you don't expect them to get into the nuance of a relationship and they mm-hmm. and they really they do with this one and it, it was really yeah. really a treat. She also played Chris Scott King in Selma. Oh yes, that's true. Yes, um, and there's some moments where they're just like. They're like playing solitaire, and they're like at one point they're living in the back of like one of those uh, what are those cool vans called? West Airstream? West, no, Westfalia vans. Oh, oh, yeah. And they're just like back there with their like beach life, being so cute. Mm, really? Yeah, yeah. They do spend a big chunk of the movie literally living in one of those, overlooking like the the beach of Malibu or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is it is definitely you know, but at the same time, it it shows that, but I wouldn't say it romanticizes it. No. Because no. this is a movie, first and foremost, I think, much more about addiction than about Chet Baker, mm-hmm. than about jazz. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a movie, their their relationship is kind of front and center in this movie. And mm-hmm. and it's about, you know, a, 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 just an addict. You know, yeah. it's about like a broken junkie uh, who is just navigating life kind of post-rock bottom. Uh, trying to kind of pick the pieces and not sure like where he wants those pieces to end up. Does he want to, you know, live with this woman who he loves or does he want to like find claws way back to the spotlight against all odds medically? 
Um, and then if he does pursue that, then like, what does that mean for everything else? And can he do that without also succumbing to the heroin and other, uh, you know, uh, accoutrements of, of, of that culture? You know, I agree with you. And I almost like don't want to because I feel like when you when you when you say it's about the addiction, it paints like a really cheesy picture in my head of like a movie about an addict. Mm-hmm. But this I feel like this um uh, navigates around sort of like the pitfalls of those sorts of movies like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem incredibly desperate yeah. and it doesn't like really put it in your face in a way that's like that makes it very clear I think you have to figure out that it's kind of about addiction yeah yeah well and, and one of the things that it does that's so clever is it has a movie within a movie right to sort of juxtapose against which you know they they have it they, they it plays out very cleverly in the beginning as you're realizing this mm-hmm. and so and i had not noticed so i'm watching this movie and i'm thinking like oh my god this is so cheesy this is so overbaked mm-hmm. like this is why do people like this why is this getting good reviews and then they pull a switcheroo on you and you're like oh twist oh that's yeah that's cool yeah i get you know and and the movie i think it does like all the stuff between chet and jane it feels very earned. It feels very real. It mm-hmm. feels very natural. Like it doesn't feel contrived and amped up for the cameras. Um, so I think that's why. I mean, when I say it's a movie about addiction, I feel like that it just kind of is. But it's not like it's not a cliche movie about addiction, right? Not at all. And even I mean, his like view about drugs is very like I love it, and mm-hmm. it's like him and like pretty successfully for a large part of the movie, like handling his business and mm-hmm. and moving on with his life so it's it's very realistic and that it isn't these like extreme situations that happen right. or these like kind yeah. of conversations with god about right. like getting things back together it's yeah. very no. matter of fact which yeah. is interesting saying that someone's a heroin addict and like a world-renowned jazz star but it's like a very matter-of-fact story that could be about sort of right anyone. because most jazz singers were or jazz performers were but and I think, well, it's so smart. It's such a smart movie. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it just has a lot of intelligence about what it's about. Mm-hmm. And that comes through in Ethan Hawke's and Carmen Ajogo's performances. They're both so smart and so on top of it. Mm-hmm. And their reactions to things just feel very real. And the movie tonally is really on top of that kind of stuff. So I, I hear where you're coming from on the question of like, well, how can you say this is a movie about a jazz trumpeter who has relapsed as a junkie and is trying to fight his way back to the stage? That sounds very cliche. It does. It sounds very like behind the music. But and, it's not. But that this movie is not that. Mm-hmm. This and movie I, is it's it's very pleasantly surprising. I like that it doesn't try to educate you on jazz. Like it, no, I mean they it's like. Like that's Miles Davis and that's Dizzy Gillespie and like they sort of like look like the characters that they're supposed to be, but it's not like too in your face about like this is like you know what they've done or who they are and like their like depictions of Miles Davis being like kind of an asshole was right. was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So overall, so what are you, what are you gonna give this one? Binge it. Binge it. Same here. Really enjoy this movie. Binge it. Um, Born to Be Blue is out now, uh, and it's rated R for drug use. Language, some sexuality, and brief violence. It's the last movie. Are you ready? Number four. Number four. Marguerite. In 1921 France, a wealthy woman follows her passion to sing in front of audiences, but no one tells her how bad she is. Are we going to do Marguerite Marguerite? I know. I was trying Aoki? to think of what we called it. Marguerite Oki. Marguerite Oki. Marguerite Oki. 
Uh, that would be terrible for everyone. That would be. We should skip that one. Yeah. We'll make one day we'll get drunk first. at the Mint. We'll be like, we're going to do more karaoke. And then we get kicked then, out of the right, Mint. And that's when we get 86 from my neighborhood karaoke bar. It'll be a sad day. That'll be sad. Um, so kind of like Born to be Blue, this movie is also based on a real person. Um, but they change your name and they change um, a bunch of other facts. Nationality. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was based on uh, a woman named Florence Foster Jenkins, who was an American socialite. Flo JJ. Flo JJ, if you will. I will. And uh, Flo JJ is being played by, um, or wait, no, no, it's Florence Foster Jenkins. So it's Flo FJ. Flo FJ. Flo Fosgen. Flo, Flo, Flory, Flory Foster. No, Flo Jen. Flo Jen. I don't know. I don't know. Working we'll, we'll with that. Tweet us, guys. Uh, so Please, please just please. tweet us. <laughs> we are not thirsty for it at all, though. But so uh, Florence Foster Jenkins is going to be the subject of her own um, movie starring Meryl Streep. Oh, it's really? It's already been shot and it's coming out this year. Oh, wow. Sorry, France. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, which that's the funny thing. I feel like normally you get American um, sort of Americanizations of stories that happen internationally. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was the French taking an American story and French in Frenching it up. <laughs> and that's what we have here and Marguerite uh, so yeah it's it's in, in yeah so she was an American and she was a socialite and she's able to sort of self independently finance her dreams of becoming a singer but like you know she was terrible at it this is nothing not unlike the story of two Americans who finance their own podcast and do a terrible job at it. And you're all too nice to tell us. Right. Thanks. Tweet us. <laughs> um, so this is kind of like, a, it's like a, an allegory about rich people getting what they want and getting away with anything. But you sort of feel, you feel bad for her. You feel sympathy for yeah. her. Yeah. You know, she's in a gilded cage, mm-hmm. you know, and, it's, and she, she, her love and her passion for these things are pure. Yes. Pure is the driven snow. And she gets such joy out of singing, mm-hmm. and uh, and now I'm just like I'm just like repeating things I've heard people describe about me at karaoke. <laughs> like, He's got she, such a nice spirit. She really loves it up there. Look at her having fun. <laughs> Uh, so don't tell so, him he's bad. No, we can't. It would break him uh, the way it does in this movie. Uh, <laughs> just make him sing just, with impressions. Just have the camera ready when you play the recording back for me of myself singing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Which actually I do have. Like I remember I was horrified. This one time I was having my birthday at the Mint. This was like probably like eight years ago or something. And um, and I was God knows how many drinks in. And I did not know. But as I was singing... Because the night, no. the Patti Smith version. Yes, well, of course. Um, I was being recorded on a CD by the bar. And so after I was done, the KJ walks up to me and is like, here you go. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, <laughs> oh, it's your song. I'm like, I'm sorry, my, 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 my what? And then I get home. I'm just staring at it, like trying to decide. Do like, I... Why does it say Furman tapes on it? <laughs> So you've been watching like the, a lot of the word OJ. Is, the word is out. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So then I just had to like face down my fears and listen to a recording of myself drunkenly it? singing because of the night. And you know, I had a couple of like flow fast gen moments mm-hmm. where my my it, I, I wandered a bit pitch wise, um, <laughs> or you know, like or I maybe like you know braid when I should have <laughs> held my held my my sternum a little tighter. Uh, but you know, all in all, it did not have the effect on me that it has on her. Uh, but it was still a moment of truth, so I can sympathize with that. Uh, so you know, she lives in this gilded cage, and you know, she's a socialite and kind of a loveless marriage. 
Uh, and she just has this one joy in life. And it's this thing that she is just so bad at, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. irredeemably bad at, like can't be fixed bad at. And um, but, you know, because she is wealthy, uh, she is able to just keep pursuing that. And right. also because she's wealthy, this is the worst of her problems is that <laughs> she can't be the perfect singer that she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so even though she's, this is all coming out of her privilege, like she is just so passionate that you can't help but cheer for her. I think that this question about um, being able to judge if she can get away with anything or if we feel bad for her, it was my, my biggest problem with the movie is that I felt like it wasn't set up enough like a comedy mm. to make me feel um, like at ease knowing how things would be. Um, I felt I felt I was always worried about what was going to happen next in a way that like, I don't know, didn't feel as fun as it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a woman's life, Rebecca. It's not a comedy. Right, but they amusement. set it up in this way with this, like, you know, this uh, motley crew, this madcap group of characters have become like her friends and her misfits. Sort of mis- they're definitely These theatrical misfits. misfits. Um, lady. <laughs> literally never trims it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's a lot of things are set up like a comedy and then and then some of them aren't. I guess that's how yeah, some movies are. But There's some farcical, yeah, it's like it plays with different genres. There's some farcical elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's also like I think a lot of the humor is still very understated. Like this movie gets a lot of mileage out of reaction shots. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not since those dogs and the choice have there been such reaction shots as there are in Marguerite. Of, of the help of the fellow socialites of the opera community. Yeah. So well, many people reacting. Even Marguerite herself. Yeah, at, at the end. Yeah. Um, one of the sort of um, cast of characters we see is someone who is paid to clap at the opera. Yes. So I feel like this... It validated us, guys. If you remember, we were hypothesizing that there could be some kind of conspiracy afoot about why when we go see these promo screenings of horrible movies that there always sound like there are like 10 people who were just feeling the fuck out of every mm-hmm. second of it. And there's a character in this movie whose job it is to go out and recruit those people. Spaniards in, and, this, in Spaniards, this case. Yeah, rightfully so. And put them, and not the Portuguese. Uh, but Spaniards and put them in the seats for these like live productions to like trick everyone into thinking like oh it must just be me everyone else seems to love this mm-hmm. so we're so on to you so it does happen we're on to you this, guys this gig has been around for we're, we're on hundreds you, of years ally THA we're on to you um, are there analogies to be drawn here about gay men and the way they celebrate female singers today <laughs> I think there are I feel like this movie is like a cautionary tale for like any like aging female singer who has a bunch <laughs> of gay men on her going like oh you're fabulous and she's like am I or wait are you guys making fun of me and they're just like we don't know the difference <laughs> um, so this, uh, were you talking about your Courtney Love video again <laughs> yes and uh, well I think you know like that's 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 such a thing about gay culture gay male culture in particular is like just propping up like aging divas and continue to celebrate them long past their kind of like you know golden days mm-hmm. and um, and so that's what this made me think of especially because the young journalist who takes an interest in her mm-hmm. is faggy as shit even though I get the impression that we're supposed to think that he's straight and he's interested yeah, in the young a love story female there. That, opera that part singer. I didn't like either. That part is not convincing. Like you want to talk about the opposite end of the spectrum from the chemistry that Ethan Hawke and Carmen Ojogo have. <laughs> Those two Frenchies. I mean, he's like an opera uh, writer. Critic. Yeah. Yeah. Which already gay. And <laughs> his face, his hair, gay, gay, gay. 
Um, so, but yeah, and it just felt like it was like these, and there's like this all also this like young anarchist mm-hmm. who seemed kind of foppish too. Mm-hmm. And they were just a couple of girls just like marching her through the streets, like, oh, this is Marguerite, isn't she fabulous? <laughs> and she's just clueless, like, oh yes, am I? Thank you. And uh, she's so sweet. So I feel like this is, uh, I feel like this is like an allegory for uh, for 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 aging female performers who have demons surrounding them and are not sure if they are being appreciated ironically. Beware. Yes. Um, and there's some fun language you get to see subtitled on screen here. Yes. Um, there is at least one line that I think should be our new sign-off, uh, which is... Which one? Toodaloo from the turds. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah. It's uh, it's like when the husband, when Marguerite's husband's like in the hunting, he's on a hunt. Oh, yes, And I they're remember. those two guys on from horses, the, uh... and they're like talking about his mistress. And he's like, oh, you turds. And they're like, well, toodaloo from the turds. I'm like mm-hmm. signing off for the binge. <laughs> Toodaloo from the turds. Uh, if only we'll try to we'll talk to Light Fiction and see if we can get that redone. Yes. Um, what are you giving this movie? What did you think of it? Uh, I, I I'm gonna give this one a binge it. I think that binge this it. one. I think it had some. This is this is a long movie. It, mm-hmm. it goes a little. It's over 120 minutes long, and uh, and I think that it could have moved a little bit more briskly than it yeah. does. Um, but I thought that it was very enjoyable. I thought that like the char- it was a really a compelling character story. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, flawed protagonist to have in this character of Marguerite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it reminded me of a, of a less histrionic version of Le'Veon Rose, honestly, of the Edith Piaf movie that Marion Cotillard won her Oscar for. Interesting. There are parts of it that remind me of that. Um, so, hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I thought it, you know, it has this kind of fun glimpse. You know, it takes place in Paris, 1920, 1921. Right. So we get kind of this, this beginning of like kind of the roaring 20s in Paris. You know, this kind of like underground bohemian world that she's sort of like ironically accepted into <laughs> um, and celebrated. And like the scene where she is unknowingly used in like an anarchist. Oh, like, right. Yeah, like, that was the best part. Anarchist rage scene. I yeah. That. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Um, but uh, but what do you what are you giving it? I'm gonna say consumer moderation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I wouldn't rush out to go see it. Um, but the acting is fantastic. Um, oh yes, uh, and the lead actress won the César for best actress, which oh. is yeah the French Oscar. The French Oscar. Yes, uh, she is fantastic. Yeah, and, she's uh, really great. I will. Yeah, it's not it's not the freshest movie. Like it feels like a period film. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like it doesn't it doesn't really have any kind of like new energy coursing through it. Um, but I, I thought it was I thought it was solid. It's weird and it's cute. Yeah, I'd say consumer moderation. Uh, so Marguerite is uh, out now, and um, it's rated R for some brief graphic nudity and sexual content and a scene of drug use. Very glamorous drug use. Ooh, it so was posh. like a very posh opium den. The poshest. And that wraps it up. You like that? <laughs> you like that? I like that cadence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting real it. aggressive. You're feeling your oats. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Binge. Thanks, um, guys. We're going to have another episode coming out very shortly, very, very shortly. It might, um, it might be live now as you're listening to it. Which is Jason's interview. Yes. Um, with Jeff Nichols of Midnight Special, so check that out. Um, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, you know, if you're not too busy or like whatever, follow us on Twitter or don't. I don't even really care. Uh, I'm at Fight Balance, though, if you do. That's um, F I G. No. Uh, and Jason is at the Jason Lamar. That's right. Um, see you later, guys. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.